Greetings, and welcome to the 80-Level Roundtable Podcast. In each episode, host Kirill Tokarev invites video game industry leaders to talk about the world of game development. No topic is off-limits as long as it relates to video game development. New episodes are in the works, so remember to follow us or subscribe and share with someone you know will also enjoy the podcast. Hello, and welcome to the 80 Level Roundtable, where we discuss the latest tech in uh, games and 3D. And uh, today we have with us uh, Josh Hope and uh, Jamie Martinez, uh, who are going to talk a little bit about the cool new thing. I mean, not that new, but still cool, uh, 3D printing. So guys, before we start, could you do a little introduction to tell a bit about yourself and your company? Sure. Uh, I'm Josh Hope. I'm a senior manager for 3D printing and uh, engineering projects from Amaki USA. And I'm Javi Martinez. Um, I'm the applications specialist. And um, basically, I'm in charge of uh, all the uh, printing applications, finishing um, customer questions about the product, and, and also uh, working with software. So how, how long have you guys been uh, doing this and how long did uh, it is like Mimaki on this market and of 3D print? Because I know that the company has a very long history in printing in general. So if you could give us like a little intro, how did we get into this new emerging tech? That would be nice. Sure. So yeah, Mimaki has been around since uh, 1975 in the traditional 2D inkjet and cutting plotters, things like that. Um, but we've been dealing with uh, 3D printing just for the last few years. The, uh, the 3D UJ553, which is our, our full color 3D printer, uh, we got our first one uh, just at the end of 2018. Uh, and that machine, uh, since then, we've added a couple dozen, I think, at this point in the United States. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're traditionally a 2D printing company. And I think that's kind of been our... our uh, uh, our, to our benefit, um, because we're able to use our years of uh, uh, expertise in color matching and, and fine detail and things like that and bring that to the, the 3D market. So, so what is the situation with like 3D printing in the United States? So I know you started this like in 2018, but from like a very high level general perspective, uh, who uses this kind of equipment? And what are like the main reasons for them to use it? Right? Where can we see that, like the products that are being 3D printed? So, so right now, um, there, there's some customers that we can talk specifically about and other customers that, that uh, we can sort of only generalize because they don't yeah. want to. We can, we can do like a general thing. It doesn't have to be like a specific yeah. company. So, so a, lot of, a lot of prototyping. Uh, there's a lot of, in the toy market, in the industrial printing market, in consumer electronics, there are, are people that are using our machine uh, to not only, you know, you know when, you're, when you're designing something, to be able to print it out and hold it in your hand and see uh, what color it's going to be and what's the texture going to feel like and, and those kinds of things, it really makes a, a big difference. So um, we've got people, as I said, that are doing prototyping. We've got other customers that are using it to uh, have a, a, a printed figure. So if they're going to, let's say they're going to a, a venture capital meeting or they're trying to raise funding, 
for a cartoon or for a, a line of toys, if they can print out that character and it's being passed around the table and people are holding it in their hand and seeing the vibrant colors and, and able to interact with it a little bit, that, that just brings a whole level of understanding to the, the story that they're trying to tell. Yeah, it makes total sense. Uh, I might see like huge advantages in that. So one of the things that uh, kind of strikes our community most about uh, the presentations that you guys did is uh, basically the quality of the print. So from my perspective, it's not like a big 3D user and so on. But when I first saw and kind of like got into 3D printing, it was very primitive. Like at, at that point, it would be like, I don't know, some very nice, I mean, primitive, plasticky kind of shapes, things, not a lot going on there. Um, I wouldn't imagine that somebody would be able to, you know, 3D print something as intricate and some people are create uh, with ZBrush. So just for like a general knowledge, so what were like the biggest advances in this tech in the last like maybe five, six years? And what helped us kind of get into the situation right now where we have this amazing quality coming into like a very... You know, I wouldn't say affordable, but equipment that you can potentially purchase and use. Um, I think so. I'll answer a little bit of this, and I'll, I'll hand it to Jaime to answer some as well. Um, I think from from a material standpoint, um, there's the, the drive for new and uh, unique materials for strength, for the ability to to have that fine detail or color. That's been really, really big, right? So, so when people think of three D printing, in the most part. They think about, um, you know, the the fused filaments, you know, where you've got a spool of, of plastic material and you're melting it and kind of squeezing it out like a like a hot glue gun, and, and you're very limited in what you can what you can do with that. But now, um, you're, you know, we're we're jetting fine little droplets of of photopolymer resins, or in some cases metal, or you know, all these different materials, and it just opens up uh, the a, a huge uh, new world of, of products and things like that. Uh, I'll let Jaime talk about maybe the software that's changed as well. Yeah, I think it's, uh, well, one of the, um, I guess that the biggest uh, industry uh, differentiators of our of our um, equipment is uh, the white color gamut. So color printing has been around for for many, many years. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was um, mostly sandstone or like uh, paper-based models. Um, and, and now we have um, the multi-jet technology, uh, inject technology, and uh, uh, at this point we we actually can have we, we can have that uh, same color capability that a commercial printer has, you know, a standard 2D printer uh, into a 3D print. So it it was uh, that's I guess the, the groundbreaking part. Now you you can have you can talk about uh, color accuracy, color matching, which uh, it was. Uh, it was not possible. You could you could get an approximate color with a different product. With our product, you can actually talk about uh, color accuracy and, and and matching. So that is that is really exciting for the artists because now they, they don't feel limited uh, when they're dis uh, when they're developing their their three D printed pieces. And now you can talk about yeah, not only about geometry and complexity, but also you can you can talk about color. Yeah, I think. Probably the color accuracy is one of the biggest things that's kind of struck me most about these models because um, 
if you're thinking about doing some kind of production, even like it's a very small scale, like if you're building your own model and eventually you do want to kind of sell it to like your you know fans or whatever, maybe put it in a store somewhere, you, didn't, you do need to make sure that it looks perfect. And I think in the majority of cases, before we kind of got to this level as we have right now, a lot of our users, they were using outsourcing companies from all over where they couldn't actually get, you know, stable results. Let's put it this way, right? Because especially with the color matching, it was all over the place. And in some cases, you can see this in like uh, some older stuff that was printed and produced. So it's really nice to see kind of that we finally hit that threshold where it's as if you can basically print what you imagined when you had it like on in your render like on a screen so i think that's a huge advantage of this kind of tech so guys before we go into like more detail um there is obviously a question about how affordable this equipment is and um, how can you actually purchase it so as far as i understand it's mostly for like a bigger enterprise right and if you have a company that kind of specializes in this field, it makes sense to buy it. So it's not technically a product for like an, an individual. Yeah, I think that's that's a fair way to say it. It, it was it was the the 3D UJ553 was was designed uh, as an industrial manufacturing piece of equipment. It's yeah, U.S. price is about one hundred and eighty thousand um, dollars, but. Uh, I think if, if for, for anyone who's looked at the 3D printing uh, market, you can certainly see over time that the technology becomes uh, less and less expensive and more and more uh, accessible to the everyday person, whether it's through a service bureau or, you know, machines that were big that are becoming smaller and, and more of a prosumer level machine. Um, we certainly expect that those same sort of things are, are going to happen with with our machine. Uh, so we we um, uh, again, without giving out you know too much away, I would say you know just stay stay tuned and and uh, uh, I think that things in that in that direction will improve soon. All right. So I have a question. So if if you were to kind of explain this to a, like a child or someone, how does three D printing actually work so what are the things that go into this thing into the process and what materials do you need to buy to get kind of the model going is it first uh, being printed the, the base model and then the colors are applied or is everything happening simultaneously how does it work so i think the the, the best way to think about our machine uh is two different ways one is if you think about a like a, a an m&m candy Right. If you cut the M&M candy in half, you'll see that the, there's chocolate that builds the shape of the, the candy itself. And then there's that colorful outer shell. That's kind of a, a good analogy for how our machine prints in that if you take one of our full color models and you were to cut it in half, you would see that the inside of that model is, is really pretty much just um, white and clear uh, material. And the color is just happening on that outside edge. Right. Um, but for a, a analogy of kind of how 3D printing works in total is if you look at an object, let's say you've got a model that you've, that you've designed 
and you think about taking that model and slicing it into into a series of really really thin layers and then you took those layers and each one of those was a separate picture that you fed to your uh your desktop inkjet printer and each layer was a separate sheet of paper and as you stack those sheets up you would get that that full uh that full object that's really uh, a simplified view of, of how our printer works. Okay, I got it. Thanks. So another question uh, I, g I guess a lot of the people in our community have is mm, some of the things that you showed, they are very large in size. So my question is how big can you go in terms of your like printing capabilities? Can you build something, let's say like as large as a car or do you still need to print something that's, I don't know, like a maybe 10 inches long or something? Is there a limit to how far you can go with that? Uh, well, when it comes to the uh, printing uh, envelope of the machine, you can do uh, 20 by 20 and 12 inches. Uh, that's uh, the, maximum, uh, the maximum printing envelope. Um, obviously, when it comes to, uh, to parts, and I guess uh, the, the best way to, to, to have a uh, I, I guess a good industrial approach to printing large parts is always to segment uh, everything into into an uh, you know make uh, make different components and then make an assembly uh, based on that. Uh, uh, the cost is definitely uh, higher compared to to uh, other projects, but it really it really depends on the on the on the application as well. So so I think I think the, the largest that what was what was the size of the the um, nemesis model that we did for um, Dopo? Yeah, so that one, for example, that was a, a single piece. Uh, uh, actually, it was two pieces. So the body was actually uh, yeah uh, the main piece. Uh, it was 19 inches tall. Um, that one um, yeah it was more to to prove that the machine is a is a reliable uh, product. That was uh, an entire week of printing. I mean, the, the, yeah. the machine was completely nonstop. Um, I just had to, you know, just check a couple of things. Uh, and it was just like preventive maintenance, make sure that the machine was working. But I never had to really intervene too much into the printing process. Though. So the machine started the job, and I just had to supervise it a little bit. So the machine was, yeah, that was more like a statement that we can do this part, <laughs> you know, this really big part, uh, because not every machine can do that. Uh, most of the times, uh, our competitors have the, like half of the of the capacity of this machine. So in this case, this this very special product was was possible because the machine had a really big envelope of uh, yeah, like a, like a big uh, printing area. I mean, it makes sense, right? Because the majority of these, uh, when you go into like three D modeling or building some kind of like a character or something, you still want to kind of build separate parts of it. Right, and most of those figurines they're kind of segmented into like separate elements that are then assembled and kind of they go from there. So it's not something that majority of three D artists should be surprised, right? They, they kind of know how it works, right? Yeah. Plus, plus we were, you know, in that case, we were able. Jaime was able to to hollow out the the uh, the model, and we put LED lights inside of it to get it to glow from the inside. There's some really nice. you know things that you can do plus you can do you know weight saving and, and things like that by by segmenting and segmenting it into different pieces and, and doing it as an assembly um, we've also done some really large like aerial photography pieces we did a, a uh, 
a project for Autodesk where it was a uh, an island, a Fijian island, and that was a, a huge print that took up the whole. The it's whole uh, bag. 93 hours to to print. How many? Uh, 93. Yeah, 93 hours to print. So it's yeah, yeah, it's we can do really really long prints, and you can you know you can put them together to make really as big of a piece as you want. The limitation is just the the what can you do in one single print. Yeah, I think like this kind of nicely times uh, ties into the other question is um, how long does the actual printing take, right? Because if we think about somebody who wants to use this kind of tech, so like in my case, I would want to use it for some kind of like a mass production thing or like even if it's like a, a small number of units, I still want to print as many of them as I can and then sell it to my you know, supporters or clients. So I'm wondering how much would it take to print like 10 figurines or something like that? How fast does it go? Yeah, it's, it's the machine itself, the, 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 the carriage that has the print heads in it slides back and forth. So it, it kind of scans left to right and then, and then it goes front to back as well. So, so you get some real uh, economies of scale by lining things up in that linear direction. So if, if you had, let's say you had um, one figure and one six inch figure might take you, uh, I don't know, 10 hours to print, let's say. Um, if I add a second and a third one that are in that same linear path, it might, uh, two, two additional uh, prints might only increase the print time by two hours. So it really has to do, you know, as far as like quoting a time, and it has to do with how tall is the figure? Are we laying it down? What orientation is it in? How thick is it? Those kinds of things. Um, but I think that's what we figured was that um, we could get two or three six-inch figures in probably about 14 hours. So when you guys are working with customers, do you uh, provide them with this kind of know-how and knowledge and optimization and uh, um, kind of teach yeah. them how, how that works? Uh, well, basically, uh, we have the we, – we definitely um, – use uh, software when it comes to when it comes to uh, prepare estimates uh, for the customer so we do have a piece of, of software and we are able to lay out the, uh, lay out the, the part and uh, make an estimate based on because yeah the problem is well the, the thing with uh, through training most of the times is um, you don't you don't start with a, with a standard shape or with something that that is you know always always the same piece I mean or something that is reproductible so when, when you have so much variation on geometry, so yeah, definitely software is is what is going to to help you out to 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 establish you know how fast or 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 um or how many pieces can you get in, in into the same layout. So so definitely so definitely it's, it's uh, software when it comes to when it comes to uh, give an estimate on, on price and time to the customers. So it's nice that you mentioned software. So. Let's talk about like what do you actually need to start the printing, right? So in terms of like the, I don't know, like a texture set or like the geometry itself, what kind of files do you need? So how does this process work? Is there some kind of additional optimizations that need to be you know done? Because um, I know there are like even separate courses on some of the schools that we work with that help you basically build a character for 3D printing. And the process there is a bit different than when you want to build something just for, you know, for your portfolio. So what do you need in terms of like, like files 
and all the other stuff from the artist in order to start printing? Well, so uh, the first thing is uh, definitely the, the base mesh. Uh, the mesh file is, is the, it's pretty important. Um, so uh, I guess it, it's just, it goes this, um, the same when it comes to optimizing the models. Try to have, you know, clean topology is the best. It's, it's always your friend when you're modeling. Um, also, uh, in most of the cases, you can use uh, symmetry, but obviously uh, when it comes to artistic job, um, a lot of the, uh, and also organic pieces, well, so symmetry is gonna be always present. Uh, so it's always it's always a good practice to, to have a clean uh, topology. Uh, Color-wise, so we do support uh, vertex color, which means you add, uh, uh, in ZBrush it's, it's known as polypaint, so you can paint directly into the uh, vertices of, of your uh, mesh. And uh, also we, we definitely uh, recommend to use uh, texture uh, mapping because just like in, in the video game uh, world, you can always optimize your mesh. You, you can get uh, as, uh, I mean, the, the number of, of faces and triangles, you, you can go to the bare minimum uh, without losing the, the physical detail. And also uh, the color will be managed by the, by the uh, JPEG or BMP image. So, uh, because if you're working on vertex color, uh, you need to subdivide the model several times in order to, to get a uh, high quality uh, detail on color only. So it's it's fair to optimize through to texturing. Um, uh, yeah, go ahead. You guys, you guys actually did a, a very interesting project with Adobe at Substance, right? So you published uh, a number of projects from the Meet Matt contest. So could you talk a little bit about that and how how did you work on the, are there some peculiarities of kind of making sure everything works with the stuff that was done in Substance Painter? And uh, if you think that maybe down the line you will have some kind of collaborations with these software providers where it would be easier to kind of like export everything into a, you know, like a template or something that would make the printing easier with your equipment. Yeah, well, well, I mean, now that you mentioned that, uh, so at the same time, I was uh, at the very same time that we started the project with Adobe. So I've been um, also learning uh, because I started, you know, with uh, 2D printing. I had no idea what 3D printing or 3D modeling was uh, two years ago. Uh, so when we started uh, working with uh, with uh, Substance Painter, it was it was really nice to to try to get uh, this workflow where uh, you will have your base mesh, uh, and then you will uh, create your texturing and also uh, your displacement maps. Um, but not only for for rendering on on a screen, but also you will use those same maps to project uh, the detail uh, on the mesh. Uh, so it takes it it has a couple of extra steps, uh, but it it really I mean it really speeds up the process. So you can you can always start. Uh, you know, with with that basic mesh, and if you're really good at texturing and understanding how light uh, works and, and projects, so you can you can get really really nice uh, displacement maps or normal maps. You know, to to add those uh, physical details, and then you can project. So it's it's really it's a really seamless uh, way to to work to work with uh, as compared to pure sculpting. To pure sculpt pure sculpting. I guess the, the biggest disadvantage is if you make a major mistake or like a bigger mistake, you have to start all over again. Like it's really hard to to modify your mesh uh, once you you have uh, projected a high, uh, I guess, a high quality detail 
on the surface. So uh, texturing is definitely more uh, is definitely more forgiving when it comes to that. Well, it sounds, it's, sorry, yeah, go ahead. Oh, it's just gonna say I think it's really been interesting though that um, as we're talking to the the ZBrush people or we're talking to uh, the folks from from Adobe Substance um, that a lot of this this output to full color 3D is something that um, they're really just starting to, to give some consideration to. So as we're working with them and we're giving them feedback on, hey, this is this is you know how we're working and, and these are the things that would be great to have. We're we're starting to see some some additional tools that are being added to the the software that can help uh, prepare files for 3D printing. And, and as I think as as uh, full color 3D printing becomes more and more common, that the software will uh, you know the different software packages will continue to uh, to evolve so that they're they're helping that same process as well. Yeah, totally. I, I think what you said makes like a hundred percent sense because. Basically, what ZBrush is is kind of a software for this kind of uh, you know use, right? So if you want to build any kind of 3D character, especially like a figurine, you just gotta have those kind of you know default as as a default or maybe like as an additional setup in your software just to make things easier. And I just wanted to touch like on the a bit on the poor artists because they 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 had to learn so much to make sure that they, their content is optimized for games because there's like a bunch of other stuff that you need to go through. Uh, but now they also need to learn like how to optimize their stuff for uh, 3D printing. But it, it seems to me, at least like from my perspective, that it's not that much that they need to change in their, in their flow, right, to make it work. It seems like the, all the optimizations and kind of like uh, the work with textures is, is is already something that they're doing with games. And this is just like an additional, a little bit of additional tweaking and steps required to make a, like a perfect 3D print. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's I think it's, it's just a matter to, to get, uh, to get familiar with the 3D printing process. Um, one trend that I've been definitely looking into, into a lot of, um, modelers and artists is they're getting their own um, you know personal 3d printers even if, you, if it's a, a, a cheap um, FDM uh, 3d printer which is the one with the filament it's uh, it's always good to 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 get a little bit of practice on it because you have to understand yeah I guess that the only uh, the, the part for, for for example for a for a person who is who is a video game artist they understand very well texturing they under, uh, understand very well how to manage um, uh, polycount or, or, or triangles, but at the same time, you have to understand uh, all the variables that 3D printing uh, has. So it's it's always a good, uh, I mean, I, I've been noticing that people are already getting into practicing and, and, and getting into into 3D, um, you know, by, by, by themselves, which is which is really nice. And, and I got to tell you, for whatever effort it takes to learn that, to, to see the look on an artist's face when they're holding a, a full color 3D print of this thing that they had seen on the screen and, and to hear them say, we heard this over and over again at the ZBrush Summit saying, wow, I never thought I'd be holding this in my hand. It's it's really cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, I completely agree with you. I think that the this kind of trend of getting yourself a 3D printer and starting to play with it like on your own is something very, um, 
you know, it's something very classic for this kind of community because three artist community, they love to tinker with new things. And uh, if you look at it like historically, like tools like ZBrush, tools like Substance Painter, then kind of change the whole process, right? They, they, they kind of open up like new ways that people can be creative and, you know, build more stuff and just 3D printing brings another dimension to that, right? So you, they just don't need to have this only on their screen, but they can actually print and like a physical object. And um, I know a lot of like sculptors from whom you featured like uh, on uh, on your Instagram page, and it warms my heart to see that they're actually building something. They actually have, you know, the opportunity to have this in their hands because their work is tremendous. And I think it makes sense to have it, you know, you know, published and, uh, you know, produced, and then maybe you can sell it eventually uh, to go on an event or somewhere. So uh, for me, it makes total sense. And even those like cheaper, smaller models of 3D printers that you mentioned, um, a lot of people actually used it for like commercial use because maybe they couldn't get the, the, the accurate color, but they would just build, a, you know, print a 3D model and then it would be like grayscale. And then people would buy it and then or, or use it and then, you know, color it themselves just as they do it with like Warhammer uh, models and stuff like that. So I see a lot of implementation there as well. Absolutely. So, guys, um, we're all almost like kind of nearing the, uh, the, the episode. So I'm wondering if somebody is like interested in getting more into 3D printing and trying to understand how this thing works, uh, where can they go? How can they contact you? Maybe you have some resources or like tutorials or stuff like that where they can learn more and trying to understand the advantages of this tech and how they can kind of start working with it. So Mamaki is a, uh, we are a global company. So please check and see if you have a, a Mamaki uh, dealer or distributor in your country. Uh, the Mamaki USA YouTube site has a couple of tutorials uh, and webinars that uh, Jaime and I have done uh, where I talk a very little bit and then Jaime shows all the magic that he knows. Uh, so we've done some with, uh, you know, how to prepare files with uh, Adobe Substance, things like that. And we'll certainly uh, continue to do that throughout the year. Um, stay tuned to our Instagram page. You can, uh, you can see uh, different things that projects that we're working on there. And if you have um, any questions, you're more than welcome wherever you live uh, to reach out to Jaime or myself through social media or um, uh, however else you'd like to. And uh, one last question. Do you guys work with any schools? Because I know a bunch of students would love to see their stuff printed out. At uh, the moment, uh, we are working with uh, Clemson University. So uh, it's uh, the Sonaco um, packaging uh, and design uh, institute. Um, that's um, so. It's mainly for um, for product prototype. That's that's mm. for, uh, yeah. We, we actually have a, a unit um, over there. I think though. I think 2021 is is going to be a year where you will see more Momaki equipment uh, out and around schools and things like that. As I said, uh, stay tuned. We have some exciting stuff coming up. All right. Well, uh, thank you for the news. Uh, I think it was a very interesting episode. Uh, so, guys, please check out the links in the description. Uh, we will try to add all the information there so you can go and check it out. And thank you guys for joining. It was very interesting. Hey, thank you. Thanks for enjoying another episode of the 80 Level Roundtable podcast. 
Check out upcoming episodes on the 80 Level website at 80.lv. Join our career site at 80.lv slash RFP and share our podcast with friends and on your social networks.